Yes, thank you for this uh, very kind introduction. And uh, I'm standing here with uh, deep feelings, really. Maybe I don't show it, but it is true. Uh, you here as a church and with these conferences, you want to reach, especially, of course, the Finnish Christians, Christians in this country. And um, I'm very closely bound up with uh, this land and with the history of this land. I'm uh, born in uh, Helsinki, in, uh, uh, and I, uh, the first years uh, I lived in a bilingual family. Isäni puhui suomea. My father, he spoke uh, Finnish. But he, was, he had the name Huttunen, and I was born as um, Benedict of Finnish Penti Huttunen. My mother, hon talade svenska, hon var finlandssvenska från Borgotrakten, så svenska är mitt ädimkjäl, mitt modersmål, my mother's tongue is really Swedish. Uh, I lost my father very early, and my mother, she uh, took the, uh, us children to Sweden. So um, by uh, circumstances, I uh, became a Swedish citizen, and my name changed. And uh, so I'm Swedish, but by birth Finnish. But uh, I have been living now for 60 years in Switzerland. But I still feel Scandinavian really Scandinavian. So uh, I really don't know if I'm more Swedish or Finnish. I'm both. I'm really both. And I'm very thankful to the Lord that uh, I have this opportunity here to share and to work together with you in the Lord's work in this land. And may the Lord really use you here as a local church and uh, those from uh, other local churches in Finland to uh, spread the gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel of salvation, which is the one and only power of God unto salvation. So we are going uh, in these days to ponder this great truth, solus Christus, as we heard, Christ alone, Christ alone. And there are those five, it's always hard to say, shall we say sola, because two of them are solus, and only three are sola. So in German we use the, uh, the term, the five uh, exclusive particle, the five particles which all hold to an exclusive truth. It is exclusively by Christ and none other. It is exclusively through the scriptures and by no other means that Christ comes to us. So we can call them those, we could say it in English as well, it's, it's anyway Latin, exclusive particle, particula, exclusiva, um, exclusive particles. So uh, let's now turn to Romans 1, verse 15. Romans 1, verse 15. Uh, here Paul expresses his desire to come to Rome in these words. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who are those you? It's the ones whom he addressed in chapter 1 in verse 7 as all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. 
So he has the desire to come and preach the gospel to the saints in Rome. And that means that the, the, the saints, the believers, those who already have believed in the gospel, need to be instructed in the gospel, to be taught the gospel. So believers need to be taught the gospel. And the gospel is more than just getting... Uh, the minimal knowledge of how to be saved from perdition, how to pass from death to life. The gospel uh, is uh, by Paul in the epistle to the Romans explained in all its width, its height, its depth. And uh, the gospel teaches us who is acting in salvation. And from where does salvation come? Where did it all start? And so we see how uh, Paul, he's teaching us how uh, uh, salvation, how it begins, how it starts with God's eternal counsel to save. To save. It begins with God's foreknowledge. And it is through Christ. And it says, from sin. And what sin is, he develops uh, very thoroughly, three chapters long, how man is really under sin, Romans 3 verse 9, and thus he is in need of the gospel, all the power of God to be saved. Uh, among German-speaking theologians, uh, usually we distinguish between two main uh, sides of the truth which was discovered by Luther and the other reformers and we speak of the so-called of the so-called formal principle and of the material principle of the gospel what is the formal principle the formal uh, principle answers the question by what form what is the form that god has chosen to bring his salvation to men and the form is the written word, that is the form. In that form, and only in that form, no other form, not by visions, not by dreams, not by experiences, but only in that, by that means, the word. And, and uh, uh, with the word, God and his power of salvation comes to men. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, as Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. The gospel, the word, is the form. And the material principle is the matter. Matter. What is the, the matter that uh, that form contains? What is it that the gospel, that form, conveys to men? And we can sum it up in one word. It brings us Christ, God's Son, God's Son. Now the gospel is ever in danger of being distorted, always, from the very beginning, or already in the first uh, uh, decades of gospel preaching after Pentecost, uh, uh, the gospel was already being infiltrated, uh, attacked, distorted, and we find that in places like 2 Corinthians 11, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11, and read verses 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. Let's start with verse 2, 2 to 4. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. 
For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautiful. You receive it uh, uh, readily, very readily. You receive a false Christ, another gospel, a false spirit. And um, in uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, let's just look up a second instance. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, here Paul says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Not to teach strange doctrines. So early, already strange doctrines crept in into the church. And that means that we have to know the gospel thoroughly. We need to be grounded in all the basic truths of the gospel. And we can say that those five exclusive particles, they are a concise summary what the gospel is all about. Of all the contents of the gospel, you have it here like in a nutshell. But of course we have to know what those five head words, what those uh, uh, particular, what those five particulars contain. And it's really worthwhile studying, uh, studying those five um, particular truths and uh, exclusive truths thoroughly. To really know them, to be grounded in them. Now, why is it that uh, error so easily could creep into the churches? Two reasons. One reason, well, of course I could uh, mention more reasons, I'm going to mention two reasons. One reason is that the gospel is so completely contrary to all human reasoning, to all thinking, wishing and desire, desiring of natural man. It goes one 180 degrees against our whole human nature and being. Human reason takes offense at the truth of total depravity, that man is, is evil from birth on. He takes offense, offense at it, and he takes offense at the truth of grace that we are completely dependent on uh, the good will of another, and that that good will is not in us. Uh, hasn't John Bunyan put that very neatly and very graphically in his Pilgrim's Progress? You remember how a Christian, who, he comes to the, uh, to, to the narrow gate, and then what does he do? He knocks, and then someone comes and opens and what's the name of the one who comes and opens? Goodwill. Where is the goodwill? Not in John. It comes from the other side. The goodwill is outside of us. We are completely dependent on God's free grace. And nature takes offense at it. That seems unrighteous. That's not fair. So that's one reason why uh, error so easily was accepted. And the second reason is that Christians easily fall prey to a diluted gospel, to a distorted gospel, because they do not really understand and thus they do not enjoy the richness, the beauty, the glory and the power of the gospel. And therefore we really need to study for ourselves and to teach those basic truths. And the best way to do it is just to teach through the Word of God. There you have it all. All the basic truths of the Gospel. From the first page of the Bible it already starts. In the beginning God. One of the most basic truths of the Gospel at all. In the beginning God, not man. God's will, God's power. There all begins. As in creation, thus also in salvation. So, just going through, studying through, preaching through the Bible. So,
So we have a concise sum of the gospel in those five particular truths, in those five exclusive particles. Christ alone. Christ alone is, has been made Lord and Christ. Acts 2.36 In his name alone is salvation. By Christ alone we can come to God. It is in Christ that God has chosen uh, the elect. Ephesians 1 verse 4. And it is in Christ and, uh, that he has predestined us to sonship. Romans 8 21. It is by Christ alone that we have justification, that we have peace with God. Christ alone means no other saviour beside him. And he alone, that, that means that he suffices. That is this sufficientia Christi, the sufficiency of Christ. And that message, Christ alone, was the answer of the apostles to uh, the legalism and ritualism of the Jews. Christ alone. Not law, not traditions, Christ alone. Christ alone was the truth the reformers preached against the Roman Catholic errors of uh, mediatorship of Mary, intercession of the saints. And it was the truth taught and maintained in Reformation times against all those illusions of the uh, um, growing and uh, upcoming and uh, rising of, of humanism, of the Renaissance. Now, if this is true, Christ alone, then necessarily from this follows Scripture alone. That follows necessarily from Christ alone. Why is that? We know of no other Christ but the Christ of the Scriptures. We cannot know Christ by any other means, only by the Scriptures. So he is the one true Christ, the Christ of the Scriptures. And as Christ alone is able to save, the scriptures alone can make a man wise unto salvation. First Timothy, Second Timothy 3, verse 15. Second Timothy 3, verse 15. We should read from verse 13 on to uh, get the context. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. So he had two sources of his knowledge. That was the sacred writings. He had heard them from, from a child, from his uh, mother and from his grandmother. And secondly, from the apostle. So he had all the doctrine of the apostle, that is the whole New Testament. He had all, the whole of the Old Testament, the scriptures. And of the scriptures, Paul then says... From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. It's a little bit, um, uh, uh, the translation is a little bit differently from the way I, 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 I'm used to, to, to thinking. Uh, the Greek literally says uh, the, the um, Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. To make you wise unto salvation. So that's the power the Scriptures have. The Scriptures have the power to save. Christ alone has the power to save. The Scriptures alone has have the power to save. So from Christ alone follows necessarily the Scriptures alone. And from 
Christ alone and the scriptures alone follows necessarily by grace alone. God did not owe us his son. God did not owe us salvation. God did not owe us any benefit at all. But he, out of his free grace, he gave his son. God did not owe us his written word, the word which prepared the people of Israel for the coming of, of the Savior, the word that proclaims the Savior. God did not owe us the scriptures. We need the scriptures. We are lost without the scriptures. But he gave us the scriptures out of grace. It's all of grace. So we see how these five truths, they are interconnected. They are bound up together. You cannot take away one. If you do that, then the whole building collapses. Then the gospel is gone. Then the gospel uh, leaks out. So we need to know them all and defend them all and teach them all by grace alone and by faith alone. If by Christ alone, if by the scriptures alone, if by grace alone, it follows uh, necessarily by faith alone. Why do we need Christ? Because we are lost. We are unable to save ourselves. Why do we need uh, the scriptures? Because our mind is darkened and we need the scriptures to enlighten our mind so that we can find knowledge of uh, salvation, the knowledge of the Savior and thus salvation. And uh, our total, complete inability shows that we can receive salvation by no other way than just receiving it. Receiving. And faith is nothing but receiving. Faith is not a strength like a muscle which we train and when the muscle, our faith, is strong enough, then we can receive salvation. Faith is just Receiving what God freely of his grace with his Son pours into us. Uh, let, let me read from uh, Spurgeon's uh, uh, Morning and Evening Devotions. Namely, it's from November 8th morning, where he first uh, quotes part of Colossians 2 verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6, as you have received Christ the Lord. Then he goes on and writes, the life of faith is represented as receiving, an act which implies the very opposite of anything, anything like merit. It is simply the acceptance of a gift. As the earth drinks in the rain, as the sea receives the streams, as night accepts light from the stars, so we, giving nothing, partake freely of the grace of God. The saints are not by nature wells or streams, they are but cisterns into which the living waters flows. Flow. They are empty vessels into which God pours his salvation. Faith alone. And if we take these four together, then from this follows necessarily all glory to God. All glory to God. And because God has, has conceived salvation in such a way by those particular truths and, and, and facts, the result is that God alone receives all glory. Now this is all doctrine. And I said already, Romans, it is a, a very exhaustive, it is a treatise on the truth of the gospel, the salvation. A treatise on the, the, the gospel, what it is all about. Doctrine. Now, doctrine is not very popular with many who call themselves Christians. Now, even people who say that, uh, well, it's not so good to have too much doctrine. You see, doctrine that tends to divide people from each other. 
Doctrine divides, love unites. That is very foolish talking, extremely foolish talking. There is no love without truth, and truth is always love. You cannot separate them. That's very foolish talking. It's a great fallacy. Now, uh, the gospel, uh, the, the, the epistle to the Romans, is a doctrinal treatise. You have to study it very thoroughly. You have to think as you read it. You have to compare one statement with the next and try to understand how from one statement the next follows and what the conclusion then is. And this is what, what um, uh, the reformers understood very clearly. Luther, he understood that all depended on the doctrine of salvation. And thus, he did not, Luther did not attack the moral corruption of the Roman clergy, of, of uh, the, the, the cardinals and uh, of the Pope and of popery. Because they were moral scandals, it was scandalous how they lived, but he did not, he did not attack uh, uh, the, the morals, the depraved morals of uh, the Catholic Church, but the corrupted doctrine. Here a quotation from Luther. Uh, uh, it's a very short one. I, I read it first in German because it's so wonderful. Those who know German, for those who know German, then I give it in English. Das Leben ist bei uns böse wie auch bei den Papisten. Darum streiten wir nicht um das Leben, sondern um die Lehre. The life, the life and walk among us is as evil as with the Papists. Therefore, our fight is not about the life, but about the doctrine. That's really the battle, the doctrine. Because it is the doctrine that begets life. We don't have to first to reform the lives that people get better, better uh, uh, um, and nicer husbands and, and wives and so on. But they need the, the doctrine, the power of the doctrine, the power of the gospel. So that's, that's where the battle line is drawn. It's about the doctrine. And the Bible confirms this. Without true doctrine, there can be no church of God. On the day of Pentecost, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church was born. By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the believers who were all by themselves true believers, born again, but only on Pentecost they were all by one spirit baptized into that one body which is the church. 1 Corinthians 12 or 13. By one spirit you have been baptized into one body. And on the day of Pentecost the, the church began as church to live and we read then a summary of church life. In Acts chapter 2 verse 44 Acts chapter 2 Verse 44. No, it's 42. I beg your pardon. Chapter 2, 42. We read 41 and 42. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Without teaching, no church. That's the basics. And that's the foundation to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Without doctrine, no fellowship. And to the bringing of bread. That's one of the two ordinances, as we heard. The Lord's Supper. And to prayer. So, doctrine. And the church has as its task to hold up the truth. And that is doctrine. Not feelings, not experiences, not a, 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 a clever method that you can, can manage life more easily and how you can find... A, a, self-esteem or whatever people invent. 
First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. I begin with verse 14, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That is the, the, the mission of the church, to be a pillar and support of the truth. That is doctrine. True teaching, the truth about Christ, the truth about man, the truth about salvation, about faith, the truth, the truth of the Bible. And accordingly, Paul, he writes in 1 Timothy 4, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verses 11 to 16, prescribe and teach these things, teaching, teach these things. And then verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching. Reading the scriptures, exhorting with the scriptures, teaching the scriptures. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed, absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That is very clear. So that is why we have met in these days to study Christ, Christ his person, and Christ and his work. Now Christ is the substance of the gospel, Christ himself, the person of Christ. He is the substance of the gospel. Uh, Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. Did you get that? The Gospel of God, and then comes in brackets, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son. The Gospel of God is concerning his Son. He is the substance of the Gospel, Christ. And preaching the gospel means preaching Christ. Who Christ is. His person and his work. And accordingly, Mark, he begins his gospel with these words. Mark 1, 1. Mark 1, 1. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So his whole uh, gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about him, the Son of God, Jesus, the man Jesus, Christ, the only one by God appointed Savior of all men, the Christ, Christos, and Son of God true man, true God, and he is the Christ. And that is the gospel, making him known. And Luther, he understood again that very clearly. He understood that 
the testimony of the scriptures is basically, and that's the sum and the heart of the scriptures, it is the testimony of Christ. Christ. And he said, the holy scriptures, they are known as such that they are holy scriptures because they, as he said, dass sie Christum treiben. They, they drive, they push Christ. That's what scriptures do. They drive Christ, they push Christ. Christ. And uh, thus he wrote in the introduction to his exposition of, the Galatia, uh, of Galatians, he wrote, In my heart reigns only this article, namely the faith in Christ, from whom, by and unto whom, all my theological thoughts flow and flow back. And that explains why Luther had such a tremendous influence, just by his preaching. He was preaching Christ, and all my theological thinking, it comes from him, and it turns back to him. It's all coming from Christ, all about Christ, all turning back to Christ, it's all Christ. That was Luther. And he understood that this had to be preached. Because Christendom had heard so many things, stories about saints, about miracles, uh, and about sacraments, and about penances, and about, uh, uh, how do you call it, pilgrimages, and so many things. Fanciful stories about miracles which saints uh, allegedly had uh, performed. They needed to hear Christ and nothing else. And they understood, this must be preached. And there's an excellent... Uh, um, biography, biography on Luther, of course there are many of them, but a, a, a really good one, written by a so-called, by, by a man called Heiko Obermann. And he writes this in his uh, biography on Luther, the Reformation could penetrate so deeply into the people because Luther, from the Schriftprinzip, that is the principle that the scriptures alone are authoritative and also sufficient. I begin again. The Reformation could penetrate so deeply into the people because Luther, from the Schriftprinzip, deduced the surprising consequence. The scriptures must be preached. Must be preached. And uh, you may be familiar with um, the life of Luther as he was uh, uh, sitting on the Wartburg, hid away by uh, um, uh, the, the king of Saxony, the elector of Saxony, uh, and was uh, doing his translation work on the New Testament. He heard that uh, there was some, um, some confusion had arisen and uh, also... Uh, uh, in, in Wittenberg, and uh, he, he then went to Wittenberg to see w w what's going on here. And then he, in a series of, of um, messages on sermons, which uh, have been published under the title The Invocavit Sermons, because they started on a Sunday which is called Invocavit. You know, the church here has all those names for those Sundays. So it started on a Sunday called Invocavit, and in one of those Invocavit sermons, he said this. Ich habe allein Gottes Wort getrieben, gepredigt und geschrieben. But now in English. I have only pushed, preached and written the word of God. Besides, I have done nothing. While I slept and while I was drinking Wittenberg beer with my beloved Philip, Philip Melanchthon, and Amstorf, the word caused more damage to the Kaiser and to the Pope than any prince has ever achieved. I did nothing. The word did it all. The word did it all. We don't have to use any tricks. We don't have to lure people into coming to Christ. We have to give them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to convince a man, 
to show him that he's a sinner, to break him down, yes, to break him down, and then to comfort him by the truth of salvation. The word of God has that power which no man has. And I would not be here if that were not true. It is something I really marvel about still today. How God, how he's succeeding in bringing me to this insight that I am really lost and I need Christ. My favorite verse in, in uh, Job is in Job 37. Job 37. Job 37. Now it's 36. Um, it is um, Elihu. I don't know how you pronounce his name in English, but in, in, in his um, in Hebrew it's Elihu. And he uh, asks a very interesting question. And that is my favorite verse in all of the book of Job. Job 36, verse 22. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who is a teacher like him? There is none but God who is able to teach a man that a man understands, I am lost, I need Christ. And he does it by his word. His word. And by his word, he proves himself as that teacher who can teach a man who he is, who Christ is, so that he can believe and be saved. Uh, Luther, he had to uh, fight battles on various fronts against uh, the errors of the Catholic Church, but also against the errors of the enthusiasts. He called them schwärmer who said, now, now we have the Spirit, we don't need the Word anymore. We have the Spirit. No need for the Word. The Word kills, but the Spirit makes alive. That's, a, that's again very foolish. The Word is so powerful that it has the power to kill. So the Word is not, is not dead, but it is very powerful. So he wrote a, a, a pamphlet against the heavenly prophets, he called them. Vida die himmlischen Propheten, against the heavenly prophets, 1525. And there he wrote, among others, the word, the word, the word works it. If Christ had, be, had been given and crucified for us a thousand times, it would all be in vain if the word did not come and present it and give it to us and say, this is to be yours. Take it and keep it. So it had to be preached. And it was preached with the uh, results we know about and thank God for. And the same is, uh, was true for Hulrich Zwingli, the reformer in Zurich. He had understood that God gave us his word that we by the word and through the word can hear Christ speaking. Christ coming to us, teaching us by and through his word. And he chose as the summarizing maxim, as the motto of his faith and mission, Matthew 17, verse 5. Matthew 17, verse 5. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And where do we hear him? But in the scriptures. And accordingly, he preached the scriptures. And we know that um, Zwingli, he died in the, in the second battle of Kappen. And uh, that seemed to be the end of the, of the Reformation in Switzerland. But it was not, because there was a certain Heinrich Bullinger. And he was a, a very uh, consecrated man, and deeply grounded in the scriptures, and that Heinrich Bullinger, he then consolidated the work of the Reformation, and he became, uh, by his ministry, and in the many uh, years, 
uh, he served in the Church of Zurich. He became, as he then was called, the, the father of the Reformed Church in, in Switzerland. Der Vater der reformierten Kirche der Schweiz. In 1566, he wrote the Second Helvetic Confession. The Second Helvetic Confession. And then he confesses the fundamental conviction of all true Reformed faith. We believe and confess that the canonical writings of the holy prophets and apostles of both testaments is the true word of God. So the written word is the word of God. And when the written word is being read and taught, then it is God speaking, not man speaking. And he wrote in the margin of uh, uh, that uh, paragraph uh, on, on uh, the word of God, then he wrote in the margin, Predicatio verbi Dei est verbum Dei. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. That was the, con the conviction of the reformers. And they preached the word and it proved to be the word of God because God himself spoke to people through his word. And uh, he acted then accordingly, according to his conviction. During, I, I quote now from uh, the two-volume biography on the life, work, and uh, uh, results of uh, Heinrich Bullinger, uh, written by Fritz Büßer. He was church historian at the University of Zurich for many years. And uh, uh, there he, he wrote on... Uh, uh, the, the preaching ministry of, of, of Bullinger during the 44 years of his office as Antistes, that is the leader of the Church of Zurich, Bullinger preached thrice a week. Three times a week. 44 years. Three times a week he preached in the church. And he, uh, it was expository preaching. He was going through all the books of the New Testament. And um, uh, in a, another place, um, Fritz Büßer writes about Bullinger. When Calvin, in 1539, published his first commentary on one of the books of the New Testament, Bullinger had already published two series of commentaries on all the epistles of the New Testament. So he was far ahead of Calvin. And by the way, he had a great influence on the, on the, on the, on the English Reformation. John Hooper was a good friend of, of Bullingdon. And he was, uh, uh, those years when, when Henry VIII uh, suddenly started to, to, to persecute the true believers, and you know, Tyndall had to, to flee for his life from England, and then he was burnt, as you know. And uh, uh, during those years, uh, Hooper was in Zurich. And that's the reason why in, in England and uh, um, uh, the, um, the thinking of, of Zwingli and, and of Bullinger had much stronger influence during about 200 years than Calvin. And uh, thus, uh, uh, most uh, 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 English-speaking speaking Reformed Christians share the, the view of Zwingli and Bullinger on, on the Lord's Supper. That is not a sacrament. It's not a sacrament, as we know. It is an ordinance, not a sacrament. So he had a very great influence uh, by his uh, teaching, his preaching, his writing. So we see how the reformers, uh, what emphasis they, they put on Christ and preaching Christ. And that means preaching the word. John Calvin, he wrote in his exposition on Romans, Romans 1 verse 3, In Signis Locus, he wrote, of course, in Latin. But we have mostly his, his uh, uh, commentaries also in English and in German translations. So he writes in to Romans 1, verse 3, about his son. An important passage. That's Romans 1, verse 3. The gospel is about his son. An important passage. In which we are taught that the whole gospel is contained in Christ. 
who moves one step away from Christ leads himself away from the gospel. Anyone who moves one step away from Christ moves, leads himself away from the gospel. So we see how uh, the reformers, as Paul did, as uh, we saw with the example of Mark, for them the gospel was about Christ, preaching Christ, teaching Christ, Christ alone. <clears throat> yes. Good. So uh, we continue here tomorrow. When is it? Second, second session at 10 o'clock. Let's pray together. With thanksgiving we look up unto you, our great and glorious God and Father, eternally in yourself, complete the blessed God, and you are not in need of us, but we need you. You are happy in yourself, in yourself without us, but we are miserable without you. And we thank you for coming to us in grace, for giving us your Son, for sending him, for giving us your word, for teaching us, for calling us. We owe you all and want to give you all glory for it. And we thank you that you have given us your written word and you have given us the responsibility to read it, to learn it, to study it, to teach it, to preach it. And we pray that you help us. We pray that you assist us to keep the truth of the gospel unsullied and unspotted and enable us to share this with our fellow men. And we pray that you would use your word and call men and women and draw men and women to your Son. We thank you that you are with us. So we trust you and bless your glorious name. Amen.